Welcome. You are listening to the Upper Room Podcast. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit URFellowship.com. Be here today. As uh, Greg said, my name is Maureen Waybright. I live in Salem, Ohio, and I want to start off by sharing with you a little bit about my life. I want to start with a poem that I read in July 1998. The hour's late and my children are asleep. The world outside is dark as I sit at my desk and weep. With thoughts running wildly through my head and a pen in my hand, I have to try and find a way for others to understand. I live in a world of many kinds of people, yet I'm always alone. Family and friends try to help, but soon give up and head for home. My children are growing and making lives of their own, and from our family, they soon will roam. I feel so empty, so deserted. I just can't cope. I know no love. No dreams, no hope. People listen, but they do not hear. They look, but they do not see the pain that grows inside of me. I cannot find any way to deal with the years of trauma and abuse. Why does God hate me? Why does he punish me so? For me, even he has no use. I don't belong and I don't fit in. I know I'll never experience true happiness. Slowly and painfully, I go down into the darkness. The thought of death no longer scares me. It's life on earth that makes me weary. The pain within my soul is real. And with that pain, I can no longer heal. I wrote that shortly before I swallowed over 40 pills in an attempt to end my own life by suicide that night in July of 1998. I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm still here. And I'm so thankful that God gave me an opportunity to get to know him, the son, and the love that he has for me. But it wasn't always like that. You see, I was getting services from the mental health system. I was seeing a psychiatrist on a regular basis. I saw a therapist every two weeks. I was taking all the medications that they said I needed in order to be a normal human being, and nothing was working for me. It wasn't until my medical doctor talked to me one day and said, I want to share a story with you, Maureen, about where I think you are in your life. He said, imagine yourself on the top of a 30-story building, and it's on fire, and you're up on the very rooftop. And the uh, fireman's ladder only goes up to the 28th story. And he's got his arms outstretched to you and he's saying, jump, jump. And you have to make that choice. Are you gonna stay up on the roof and catch fire or are you gonna jump into that fireman's arm and trust him to catch you? Well, I've always been a big woman and I was not gonna trust this fireman on top of the ladder to catch me. No way to know how that was gonna happen. And I said, what are you asking me to do, Rick? And he said, I'm asking you to go home and pray about it. He said, because God will give you the answer. 
And as I'm driving home that afternoon, after spending some time in the Word with him and his wife, it hit me. He wasn't asking me to trust that fireman. I had been abused, I had been raped, I had been molested, and the last thing I was going to do was trust a fireman to catch me. He wasn't asking me to stay up on top of that building and burn as I felt my life was on fire because I couldn't find a way out of the darkness of depression. All he was asking me to do is have faith. And I had to have faith that when I jumped, I was going to be caught. And you see, it wasn't a fireman on the top rung of a ladder. It was Jesus Christ with his arms outstretched, and he was ready to catch me if I would only jump into his arms and allow him the opportunity to do so. I had been going to church my entire life, but I did not know Jesus Christ. So I called my friend Rick, Rick and his wife Wanda, and I said, I got it. I'm supposed to have faith. I can have faith. I don't know if I can have trust, but I can have faith and the trust will have to come later. And he said, Maureen, I want you to go home and open your Bible and start reading John. Okay, I got my Bible out and literally blew the dust off of it. And I opened to John, and in John 1.5, it says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Wow. Here I am, a person in the pit of depression for over 12 years of my life, feeling like I was in the deepest, darkest hole and I would never be able to find a way out. And the first thing that the Lord showed me that light was that I didn't understand him. I didn't know him to know what he could do for me. And all through John, Jesus goes on to tell me who he really is. And Jesus himself told me with his words, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the good shepherd. I lost my place. <laughs> Who lays down his life for the Lord. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I am the light and the way and the truth. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And it goes on to share the miracles and the wonderful things that Jesus Christ did when he walked on this earth. And towards the very end of John, he goes on to say, you believe at last. Yes, I do, Lord. I believe at last. I believe in you, and I believe that you are going to take me out of this darkness. And then he says, follow me. Very simply, follow me. You must follow me. All the medication in the world, all the treatment in the world was not helping me. But when I accepted Jesus Christ into my life that night as my Lord and Savior, through his very words in his book, my life began to change. See, he performed a miracle for me that night. I'm a person who lives with bipolar disorder and traits of borderline personality disorder. And the Lord didn't deliver me from those illnesses. 
but he delivered me from the deep, dark depression that caused me to take an overdose of medications and almost cost me my life. He delivered me from that deep, dark depression, and I have never been back in that hole of darkness again. I could share with you, <laughs> praise the Lord. I thank him, to him goes the glory. You see, I'm a single mom. I've raised my two daughters on my own since my youngest daughter was six months old because her father was into drugs and alcohol. And now my children are in their 30s, and I have grandchildren. Something I wouldn't have experienced had the suicide attempt been completed that night. It's an awesome thing to be a grandparent. And it's so happy to see the success of my my daughters as they move on in their life. And in the last two years, our life was blessed by my youngest daughter, who never could have children, adopting two of the most adorable children in the whole world and seeing their family come together and gel as a complete family. I'm happy to announce I have an eight and a nine-year-old grandchild that I just love as my very own and always will. We can start the video. I have so much I would love to share with you today about the things that Jesus Christ has done in my life since that night because it's nothing but miraculous. But I want to give you a little insight on mental illness because it's important to understand what mental illness is and that it's not something that anybody asks for. The faith-based community has so much they can contribute because Jesus Christ, or God Almighty, made all of us, body, mind, and spirit, from head to toe. There's not one part of us that he didn't uniquely design. And there are ways that you as faith-based community can help. Did you know that 100 people in your church every Sunday morning, 26 of them can suffer from a diagnosable mental illness? Mental illness is extremely common. Some places say one in four people's lives are affected each day by mental illness. Others say one in five. But in a room full of 100 people, if we started to count off, we would see that whether it be four or five, there are a great number of people living with mental illness each year. I want you to understand a little bit about addiction. Most people think that an addiction is a choice, but it's not. Addiction is characterized as a behavioral health illness. Some of the same parts of the mind that are affected by mental illness are affected by the drugs and alcohol that people put into their system. And I know that to be true because in a young teenager, I used drugs and alcohol to deal with the emotions that I was facing when my grandfather was killed. And he was my source of love in my family. About 40 million Americans are addicted to some kind of substance use, alcohol being one of the most favorite. One in 10 people in the United States start using drugs or alcohol shortly after their 12-year birthday. That is amazing that our children's lives are being affected because they have no other way to deal with the pain inside of them. So what can you do as a church? You have to understand the difference between what a church is. Is the church exclusion? Are you an exclusion church where you have your certain group of core members and other people are kept on the outside and not welcomed in with open arms, maybe because of how they look, maybe because of their financial status, 
maybe because you don't understand who they are because of an illness or a past history of drugs and alcohol use? Are you a segregated congregation? Do you have this group over here that's included in everything and then this little group over here that stands on the outside and is not included in all of the things that you do? Are you an integrated congregation? Do you have your core group of people yet inside that core group of people? Is that small integrated group of people who you don't really know or you don't really talk to? There's nothing worse than walking into a church for the first time and one or two people saying hello and walk, everybody else walks on by you. That's not being inclusive. Or are you an inclusive church? Are you a church that welcomes people in regardless of how they dress, how they behave, what their financial status is, who they have as friends, or what part of town they live in? It's up to you as a congregation to decide what kind of church you want to be and what kind of church Jesus Christ established you to be. Most people with mental illness and substance use disorders will not volunteer to come help out at the bake sale, will not volunteer to sign up for classes. Why is that? Because there's so many times in their life that they've been rejected and turned away and not accepted for who they are. And you need to take that step and invite them to come. Invite them to be a part of a bake sale. Invite them to come to a class. Let them know that you truly care about them and who they are. What does it mean to be a welcoming church? I have to turn my notes here because I want to make sure I hit all the points. <laughs> Without talking too much, I can talk too much. So what does it mean to be a welcoming church? Well, one of the things you have to do is be silent. Most people don't realize that the word listen and silent are spelled with the exact same letters. And isn't it amazing that we have to be silent if we are truly listening? We are making eye contact. We are watching body signals. We are looking. As I shared in my poem, People looked, but they do not see. Because while they were talking or I was talking to them, they were checking out the clock, they were looking out the window, they were thinking about what they're going to have for supper, maybe thinking, when is this lady going to stop and go home? I've had enough. So you need to truly silence your mind if you're listening. You have to think and be in the moment and hear the words, see the body expressions, understand that there's feelings behind those words, and they're not just talking. So being silent is extremely important. You need to recognize and embrace the truth that people with mental illness or addiction disorders are people created in the image of God and loved and valuable just as you are. There's not one person in this world whose life has more meaning and purpose and value as yours whether they have a mental illness or a substance use disorder or whether they have some other kind of disorder that they have to live with. So we have to remember that. God created all of us from head to toe. And without your brain, the most important organ in the body, the rest of your body could not function. And in that brain is your mind. And the mind is what's made up of your behaviors and how you act. And that mind is made up of what has happened to you in your life, what you learned, how you reacted, how you cope. 
And that's what comes out in a mental illness. And because the mind is so different for everybody else, treatments have to be extremely different and unique to each individual person. You have to foster a, comp a culture of compassion and authenticity in your group. Set an example all the time, not just when you're in front of a person with mental illness or addiction. Let them know the truth. Even if the truth is not pretty that they share with you about their life, you have to be able to share with them the truth. And to me, the only truth there is is the truth of Jesus Christ and, his, and what he has done for each and every one of us by dying on the cross. Watch your response. They're not crazy. They're not stupid. They're not an addict. It's a person with a mental illness. You see, I'm Maureen Waybright. I'm a mom to my two daughters. I have two wonderful son-in-laws. I'm a grandma to the four most beautiful grandchildren in the entire world. Now, grandmas, don't panic. I know yours are too. I'm an aunt. I'm an employee. I'm a person who lives with a mental illness. I'm also a person who lives with diabetes, who lives with a shunt in my head, who has asthma, and that does not define who I am. It's only a small part of what I live with. And it doesn't make my life any less meaning, meaningful and valuable as your life is. So we need to treat everybody that comes into our presence with love and the kindness that Jesus Christ has taught us how to live with in his word and not be judgmental. You need to care for people who are coming into your group. Your group already knows how to care for somebody who's in the hospital. Maybe you make a casserole for the family. Maybe you go over and take some food or offer to drive the kids to church or to Sunday school. Mental illness and addiction is known as the no casserole illness to people who aren't active in their church. You don't get a casserole if you spend a week in the hospital. Nobody calls to say, do your kids need to go to Bible study or they need to go to church or they need a ride to their ballet classes? Nobody asks those questions because we're ashamed to talk about mental illness. When I was in the hospital for my mental illness, when I did the, had the overdose in 1998, not one person from the church sent me a card. Nobody called. Nobody came to visit. And why is that? Not because they were bad people, but because they didn't understand what was happening to me. They didn't know how to talk to me anymore. Suddenly, I wasn't Maureen Waybright, the uh, kindergarten Sunday school class teacher and the Girl Scout leader. They didn't know who I was. Well, let me tell you something. When you come out of the hospital from a mental illness episode, you have just as many issues to face as somebody comes out from having some type of a surgery and maybe even more because you didn't understand what was happening to you. How could you expect the rest of the community to understand? But you still deserve the same things as any recovering sick person deserves. You have to model acceptance. Set an example and accept everyone who walks through those doors. Go out of your way to say hello and welcome them in and offer to have them sit with you and make them feel comfortable because odds are they've never felt truly comfortable in a large group of people before. And that ministry can go a long way in changing the lives of people with mental illness and substance use disorders. Get some training. 
Greg was talking about QPR training coming up. Marcy's an incredible teacher, and she will be here to work you, with you through that program. There are also other programs like Mental Health First Aid that teaches you how to react and how to respond to people who are in a mental health crisis and take time to listen. Listening is so important. Shutting your mind down to everything around you and paying attention to what is happening right here and right now with that person makes the world of difference. You can go to the next slide. Communicating effectively requires active listening, and we just talked about active listening and being alert and interested in what the person's saying, not thinking, what am I going to fix for dinner tonight? Gestures and body language are also involved in active listening. Having empathy, not sympathy. Don't feel sorry for me because what's happened in my life. Yes, I've had a great deal of trauma and abuse, but praise the Lord I have because he has used me in a ministry I never thought I would do before, reaching out and sharing with, my, sharing with other people my life and the wonders and the miracles that God has performed for me right here, right now, in the 20th century. And someday I hope to come back and share some of those with you because it's amazing what the Lord has done. Make sure you provide feedback. I hear you say, I want to understand, help me understand. And always reach out your hand just as the Father has reached out his hand to us and welcome them for who they are, where they are, and what they are. And don't make them feel any different than you would anybody else. You don't know who your best, next best friend might be. We welcome one another as Christ welcomed us for you and, oh wait, I can't, I'm sorry. Welcome one another there as Christ welcomes you for the glory of God. And that's in Romans. Jesus Christ welcomes us each and every day to have a new start, to have a new beginning, and so do other people deserve that same thing. You know the word that's mentioned most in Scripture? Anybody know what that word is? Love. Love is mentioned more time in Scripture than any other word in the Bible. Throughout the entire Bible, Jesus Christ is telling us we have to love one another, accept one another, be there for one another, encourage one another, support one another. If you want to know how to help a person who has a low income and doesn't have food, read your Bible. It'll tell you step-by-step step what you need to do. If you don't know how to reach out to a person who's sick or you're afraid you're going to say the wrong words, read your Bible. It tells you how to do it. It's amazing that he provided for everything that we could possibly face as human beings. But we have to open our minds and we have to listen because Jesus Christ still talks to us today if your mind is clear of all the humbug that goes on in a person's everyday life. And you have that resource. Sometimes new moms will say, well, they never gave me a book on how to be a mother. Yes, they did. Jesus Christ provided you with that book. It's called the Bible and it's right there and it tells you how to be a good mother or a good father or a good neighbor. And it tells you that love is the most important thing that exists in our society today. And unfortunately and sadly, it is the one thing that is missing from millions of people's lives each and every day. And along with love comes acceptance. 
So open up your hearts and your minds and reach out to those people who may seem different from you because they need you more than anybody else does because they've been rejected so often in their life. I want to give you an example and think about it for just a minute. If a new face appeared in your church and they're sitting alone up here in the front pew and they seem to be irritated about something, they look around the church nervously and they suddenly start talking to someone who is not there. You are now watching them carefully, maybe getting a little concerned for your safety and the safeties of the other members of the church. After the service is over, he disappears into the crowd and you don't see him for a while. You hear some noises going on and you find him in an empty office and he's going through books and things in the office. What do you do? What do you do? How do you respond to that person? What is the first thing that comes into your mind in that situation? And how would you respond? Would you walk away in fear, afraid to talk to them? Would you run for the pastor or somebody else to come and rescue them from that person? Or would you say, hello, how can I help you? Are you looking for something? Have you lost something? Let me reach out my hand and help you find what you need. Because chances are, nine times out of ten, when you talk to that person, you're going to redirect them through the thoughts that are running through my head, their head, and you're going to help them find what they need. And the thing that they need is Jesus Christ. Thank you very much.